things coming up. And then I think that's it. So why don't you make your way to the book of Joshua, and we find ourselves in chapter 18. Joshua chapter 18. Remember the, the book of Joshua. He's coming out of the... Um, uh, you may remember the whole history that the Lord called Abraham out of oh what would be modern day Iraq, Babylon, uh, a little bit of Iran there. Called him over to the promised land, said this was going to be yours. This is what I'm going to give you in your inheritance, but it's not yours yet. There is some time I'm trying to get the people that live there to turn the ship around. As a matter of fact, about 400 years will end up being a little bit more than that by the time it's done. And then I'll give it to you. I'll bring you out. But you guys are going to go down to Egypt. You're going to be under some hardship. And uh, I'll bring you out with a mighty hand. And certainly the Lord did that. And he uh, uh, revealed himself to the people on Mount Sinai. Uh, spoke out the Ten Commandments. We know the Bible tells us that. In fact, the Hebrew tradition is that the, the Jewish rabbi tradition is that he spoke out the Ten Commandments in every language known to man. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but I always thought that's kind of interesting. In other words, it's for everybody. That was their point they were making. And, and then, remember, they, they were heading up to the promised land. They were at the, well, as a picture here, the, the Jordan River there. And the Lord said, okay, it's your land. Go take it. But as it, it is in everything in our lives, it's all about faith. The Lord wants us, even as we sang now, to walk in faith, to, to move out in faith, to, to, to trust Him. It, it's just... Uh, Hebrews tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He wants us to walk in that kind of relationship where we trust him. And, uh, and, and it's of great value. And I believe it's of great eternal value. And so he tries to do that great work in us now that we are prepared for eternity. And, and so he gave them a choice, just like he gives us a choice. And, and again, the Lord, uh, when he created man in his image, as Genesis 1 tells us, uh, what does that mean? I mean, in his image, what, 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 what does that really mean? Well, one of the things that it means is that he gave us uh, self-determination, we'd call it. In other words, we can choose whether we listen to him or not. He didn't um, create robots. He didn't create uh, beings that just respond to him. Now, there is some of that in creation. There's no question about that. There's those that that just, you know, respond to the will of God, and then others that have the freedom of choice, which is, of course, us. And that was one of the things he gave us. He's not forcing anything on anybody at any time ever. It's always that matter of choice, and we can choose. Because, again, let's illustrate it this way. Imagine you're on a desert island. Let's say you're, you know... There was three of you on the desert island, and uh, there was two guys and a gal. And, uh, uh, you know, some years had passed by. You'd kind of given up hope of rescue. And one of the guys goes over to the gal and says, you know what? I love you so much. Would you marry me? And, uh, and she would, you know, would look at him. Well, you love me? Well, what's your other choice? There's, there's no choice involved. There's, you know, if there was two, would you choose me? And so in her own mind, she's thinking... This guy says he loves me, but there's no other choice. I'm the only one. And so, uh, you know, it, it, she never really knew if, if she was really, he was really in love or there was just not a choice given to him. And I know the illustration breaks down pretty quickly, but in the same way, the Lord says, listen, 
here I am, here's my plan, and I love you, and I want you to choose me. I, I, I want you to receive my love and my plan. That's what I've, I've done all this for, because I love you. But I want it not to be uh, as a religious exercise. It's something you have to do. It's something you do personally. It's something you choose and receive on your own, uh, not by somebody forcing your arm or dragging you to church or doing this or that. It's, it's a relationship I desire to have. I, I work from the inside out. Uh, it's not reforming the outside and getting yourself cleaned up and, you know, a better person or a good person or whatever people want to say. No, no, I transform you from the inside and to, to out. And, and, and in doing that, it's just walking by faith. Okay, do you trust me? These people came up to that river and said, well, you know, as we know, they sent out some people in the land. Is it spies out there? Oh, it's a beautiful place, Lord, you're giving us, but there's high walls and big armies there and we're a bunch of ragtag slaves coming out of Egypt and and there's just no way we can win. They had a problem we talked about last time. Remember, small God, big people. And, and there was a couple of guys, one of them named Joshua, who, who wrote this book that we're looking at. He was the opposite. Big God, little people. Yeah, it looks impossible from my perspective, but when, we're, when we factor God into the equation, well, nothing's impossible. And, and so uh, the people that didn't believe couldn't go in. And then we know that generation passed and the next group came in and Joshua led them in and had been giving them great victories. And boy, we could sum, uh, summarize all that we've been looking through uh, to this time. But, you know, he had been giving them great victories by faith. Remember, high walls, big cities, big guys, battle hardened troops. And God was giving them miraculous victories now we know that the major battles had come to an end now and, and now they were kind of getting ready to and, and had been dividing up the land saying okay you guys live here you guys live here remember they the, the nation of israel was divided into family groups if you would remember there was one man named jacob who had 12 sons and each one of those sons uh, whoever their descendants were that might have been your great 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 grandfather or whatever you know, you came from this one, let's pick one, uh, one was named Joe, uh, let's pick a better one, one was named Benjamin. And so everybody that was somehow connected to him, family lineage over the years, they would have a certain area to, to live in. And then another group, you can kind of think of it as maybe, the we think of it as states. Can you imagine if everybody in California could trace their lineage back to one person? Now obviously with 40 million people, it's kind of far-fetched. But obviously, they were a lot smaller. And the people in Arizona could tra 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 uh, trace their lineage back to one person. And then uh, the 12 combined made up the nation. Okay, And that's what they were doing. They were dividing that up. And then verse 18, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 1 tells us something uh, new here. And it says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. Now, this is pretty cool because this is the first time um, that we see that the tabernacle, and remember, uh, think of it as a mobile church in rough terms. The Lord had them, when they first came out of Egypt, build a place where they could go and and. and, and and speak to the Lord, and the Lord could speak to them. They could go to worship Him and spend time and hear His will. Uh, and there was a lot. That was the connection between God and man was through that tabernacle. And it was portable. It was a tent. And literally, when they were moving around out in the desert there before they got into the land, 
would be set up and broken down and set up wherever they would camp, so to speak. It, was, it really literally was a big tent. It was uh, 15 feet by uh, 45 feet. And then, well, you get a little bit of a picture here. So it was portable, but this is the first record we have of being set up now in the promised land. And you can see where it was set up. Here's a rough outline. Remember what it was, the altar. And we've talked about this is what it kind of looked like, the tabernacle. And that was set up here in Shiloh, which is in the land of the group of people of Ephraim. Remember how we divided the land, and we'll talk about that. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. Can you imagine? This is their first time that they kind of set it up, and now it's theirs, and they're in their own place. They're really not going to be wandering around. Now, we know that this tabernacle will be set up in a couple other places um, before it becomes a permanent home in Jerusalem. Remember, eventually that will be the capital. But at first, when they go into the land, the first capital, we would, we would say it in our way of saying it, the first place where the priest would be and the Lord would you know, be, come, they would bring their, have their holidays and sacrifices and all that was, was in Shiloh there. And it was there for, um, for quite a, uh, a, a bit period of time. As a matter of fact, when I was over there, in the 90s, uh, you went to that place where Shiloh was, and you could see where all the pottery, even to this day, uh, how they worshiped there for years and years, and there was broken pottery, and you could still see a lot of the, the archaeological um, excavations where they, they had done all this. So it was a pretty important place for a long time. But imagine how exciting that was now. Now it wasn't really going to be on the move anymore. It's their place, their land. So they set that up. And then verse 2 says, uh, But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, Oh, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord, your God, uh, the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Verse 4, Pick out from among you three men from each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land and survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph will remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. So they set up, um, uh, you know, they set up the tabernacle here, but there was groups of people, those tribes we'd say it, think of those groups of people, uh, that still hadn't gotten their possession, their land. Um, and he, he said, listen, we, you, you guys need to settle it. It's yours. Uh, don't stop now. You need to continue to move forward. And, and then you can draw the map of the area, and then we'll break it up into different parts, and then we'll, as it says here, you'll draw lots for, the, um, cast lots before the Lord. Now, they were in Shiloh. He was in Shiloh. That was the center where Joshua was and the people now. And, and so the idea was they'd come back and say, okay, Lord, which group should get this? And don't think of it as flipping a coin or rolling a dice or something like this. This is really the idea was it was directed before the Lord to lead them in what area, who should get what area. So um, it wasn't some random thing. Okay, you, you know, choose heads and I'll choose tails and let's see how it lands. It, don't think of it in that terms. It was bringing before the Lord, Lord, we want to know who you want, where, and, and what. And so once they did the survey, they would come back and then allow the others to, to take their inheritance, if you would. 
And then he reminds them of one thing. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond uh, uh, the Jordan on the, on the east with Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And so back to our, our map again. So this is all the territories, if you would, and think of them maybe as in our, our modern idea of states. You know, this group here, this group settled here, this group here. So these guys were on this side of the Jordan, and they went all the way up to the top there, which is pretty close to, well, you can see where Damascus is, you know, still today in Syria. So it gives you some idea of how they were dividing up the land and the different colors represent the different people. But notice this, and we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get to it in a little bit. The Levites were not to have any property or any land. Now, you might remember who are the Levites. What are we talking about here again? Let me restore you. Those are the people that the Lord had set aside to minister at the tabernacle. Um, they would be, you know, the, the religious people of the day. They would be the pastors, the you know, uh, the priests kind of a thing in their day. They were there to represent God to the people and the people to the Lord. And if people had questions, they were also the the, uh, the judges of the day. If you had a, you know, a, a, an issue with somebody, uh, they would they would help settle those things. Uh, if you, you know, uh, remember, they were even to the point where if there was some kind of mold or mildew or uh, some kind of uh, skin disease, they would make the determination, hey, you know, is it going to spread? Uh, should we isolate them for a period of time? Remember, it was seven days. Uh, are they going to be okay? So they had a lot of roles. But most importantly, they were to represent uh, the Lord to the people, and the people would go to them to, to seek the Lord. And so the Lord said, listen, I'm not going to make them like everybody else. They're not going to have a responsibility to farm and to raise uh, orchards or whatever they might grow or do or have big herds and all this kind of thing. No, I, I want them to spend time focusing on me. and But I don't want them in one spot. So what he did is he gave them 48 cities, and pretty much you can see uh, all the cities that are mentioned here are the cities where these priests would go. Now, the bigger square ones are the cities of refuge, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But, you know, and, and if you look at that, they're pretty well spread out through the area. What's the Lord doing? Well, listen, if they were all cloistered around here or there or Shiloh or wherever, you, you know, then people might have to travel, you know, hundreds of miles and days at a time just to even see them or, or do things. And the Lord wanted them spread out, if you would. He wanted the people to be able to access him without going these great distances. And so he put these cities all over the place. And it doesn't equate quite, you know, across the board again, but you kind of think of it, maybe it helps you to understand, like, well, why is there so many churches in Watsonville? You think, well, do we really need that many churches? Well, you know, we, you could have a, an eternal debate about that, but the Lord allows it. I mean, if the Lord wanted everybody to go to one church, he would just get a huge section of land, maybe out at the fairgrounds, all that parking there, have a structure in the middle, everybody to go there. But he allows for different churches. You know what it's like. You've been around for a while. You know when you connect to a church. And you go, man, I feel like, man, I learned something. There was a connection there. And, and so God has room for that. Some places you go to and you go, well, I don't know. And that's okay. There's room for that, right? 
get connected. That's the important thing. And, and if you would, he had these people all throughout so that they could, it was just, they were able to be around him and they were able to be around godly influence and it was close by. And so he spread them out through the whole land there. And, and that's what he's doing. And you can see that on, on that map. And then um, verse 8 tells us now, then the men arose and to go their way and Joshua charged those men who went to survey the land saying, go walk through the land, survey it and come back to me that I may cast lots before you before the Lord at Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land and wrote uh, uh, the survey in a book in, uh, in a book seven in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast, cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord and Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. And then what we have from verse 11, and you can see here, now to the tribe of the children of Benjamin, and according to their families, this territory came up. And then you will go through and go all the way to the end of the chapter. It lists the borders, and it lists the cities that were included within those borders. And if I read them to you, they wouldn't make much sense, and you have no idea where they are, and I'll have a little map to show you that. But uh, here it is. If you look on our map again, here's the tribe of Benjamin, and it, so it's this green, yellow, whatever color that is. It's uh, right here, and it lists those cities and would give the territory and the border and says, okay, that's yours. Now, there's a whole lot of verses there, and we'll repeat this seven more times uh, by then tonight. And you might think, Hmm. Well, um, and so that's the area. And then here's what a, kind of a modern day picture of it looked like. It was in a, you know, kind of in the uh, rolling hills. Uh, it was kind of inland a little bit. And that just gives you an idea of what it looks like in today's terms um, from Mount Gibeon looking kind of across the valley and some of their territory down there. Now, one thing I find it interesting as we go through all this is do you remember how, how many chapters in the Bible God uh, gave us? How much he wrote down in his word about how, how things were created or creation? Just pretty much two chapters, right? Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And, and not a whole lot there. But I find it very interesting that, you know, uh, we've been reading it now for a few weeks, but this chapter, a few chapters before, a few chapters here in the in the future, uh, a lot more information just giving the boundaries of the land. And you think, well, Lord, you know, if it was me, uh, I would probably spend a lot more time. I'd like to know a lot more about creation than, you know, this place and that place and this place and that place. And yet, the Lord chose to give a very detailed description. And I think that was for a reason, and it's something we can learn out of it is this, or at least one of the things we can learn out of it is this. You see, God made a promise to them some 450 or so years before this time and said, listen, this is going to be your area, and I'm going to give it to you, as he was promising this to Abraham. He said, to your descendants, there's going to be a lot of them, and I'm going to give them all to them. And as a matter of fact, he had them walk the land and say, hey, you know, all this is going to be yours. And now the Lord is bringing it all to pass as he said he would and when he said he would, and it's theirs. And, you know, it should encourage us. When the Lord speaks something to us, he keeps his word. It is going to come to pass. We can count.
count on it. And, you know, we see all these names in this land. Okay, it was on this border, went by this mountain, it was included this city, and we're like, oh, okay, what does all that mean? It's like, well, listen, I got it all mapped out for you, and this is your place. Now, put yourself in their situation. These guys were slaves. They grew up slaves. They knew nothing but slavery. And it was horrendous slavery. Remember at one point in their history not too long ago, the, 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 the Egyptians hated them, and instead of... Uh, he would kill all the baby boys. In other words, if you were a woman and you had a son, you were required, probably under penalty of your own death, to take that baby and throw it in the Nile River, which means you were to kill your own baby. Have a nice day. I mean, it's hard for us even to imagine something like that. But that's the kind of conditions they lived in. That's kind of things that they were under. And now the Lord's delivering them and following through with the promises he said he had. And this is going to be yours. And they never owned anything before. It was kind of like maybe if you've ever bought some land or your home or something like that. You know, if you've ever bought anything, even a car, right? Where's Tony? Oh, he's in the back, right? You know, a contract to buy a car is like pages or whatever. And, you know, because all the details you know written out there or if it's a house or something oh here's the property line and you go from here and you have these mineral rights or you do you know this and that and when you get it you're like oh cool if it's a new car you're looking around at it you're looking at this you're looking at that and wow i want to know everything about it and oh, if it's a home i, I want to know, okay my land goes to this tree and here's the fence over here and this is where the front walkway is and, and in some sense maybe they help you understand it they, they were incredibly excited about this. It was incredibly uh, important, and, and, and the Lord was showing, listen, um, you can count on me. You can trust me. Yes, I tell you to walk in faith, which means is not knowing how it's all going to work out or how it's all going to happen, but you can trust me. And so the Lord does so many things in our lives to reassure us that we can trust him, that he won't let us down. He's done so much already. He'll do so much to it, with us in the future. And he gives us so much in his word to give us every reason to trust and believe him. And, and, and this, though, is a seemingly kind of a funny chapter and with a bunch of names coming up here. Man, it just, I keep my promises. You know, we know what it's like. We work around people, live around people, uh, know people that don't keep their word and how, Frustrating that can be, right? And uh, man, but you know, the Lord says, listen, don't put me over there. I, you can trust me 100%. And so he gives them all this. And he's given it all to them. How exciting it was for them and how exciting it is for us to remember that the Lord keeps his promises. Well, chapter 19, and if you read verse 1, it says, The second lot came for Simeon, and the tribes of the children of Simeon, according to their families. And again, the, the, the same thing, um, it gives all the details there. And verse 9 tells us the inheritance of the children of Simeon included the share of the children of Judah. For the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within, uh, within the inheritance, I'm sorry, of that people. And so down here again, here it is. Here's Judah. It was a huge area. It goes all the way down really to almost to Egypt here or to Egypt. And, and here's their land in the middle. And so the Lord gives them uh, those borders. And then verse 10, uh, the third lot came to Zebulun according to their families. And, and then verse 24 says, the fifth lot came to the children of Asher and their families. 
And, and then again, verse uh, 32, the sixth lot came to Naphtali and their families. And then verse 40, to the tribe of Dan, according to their families. And so you can look and see, okay, there's Dan, there's Naphtali, there's Zebulun, there's Asher. And you can see those are the areas that they had been given to them. And then verse 49 of chapter 19 says this, And when they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him a city, which he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance of uh, Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end to the dividing, uh, dividing the country. And so now it's divided up. Everybody has their share. And as we'll see in a little bit, and so oh, here's a, uh, so looking back, and these are kind of where, Naphtali, Zebulun, and uh, Issachar all kind of meet, and they're kind of even more, a little bit north of that last valley we see here, and uh, this is the, the Valley of Jezreel, or the Jezreel Valley, also known as, uh, uh, well, where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. So this gives you some idea, uh, that valley, uh, the uh, Jezreel Valley of the Plains of Megiddo down here. It runs through there. And that, for you guys that are a little more uh, prophecy buffs, that's uh, where Armageddon will be actually battled out there. So you get a little view of that. But it was, again, beautiful place to grow crops. And uh, all that they had, the Lord gave them uh, plenty and, and a wonderful place for them to, to dwell. Wow, we've covered a lot. All right, chapter 20. Now we're going to go back and we're going to see, remember those Levites, the priests, they didn't have their own territory, but they had 48 cities. Now within those 48 cities, there's going to be six for the city of refuge. Now, again, put yourself in their sandals. There wasn't any prisons in those days. There wasn't any police force. And uh, if there was a problem, uh, the families took care of justice. So it's very foreign to us. If there's a problem, we call the fire department. If there's a problem, we call the police department. If there's a problem, we call uh, these people, and, and they're great. They're there. They respond in minutes, sometimes seconds, and it's, it's wonderful and great and all this stuff. Uh, no 911 back in this day. And, uh, and the Lord knew things were, would, would be to happen. Now, we've spent time, and we've talked about the Lord made laws. Because re remember, there was different types of laws for these people. Uh, because they were Jews, they were a group of people, they were a nation. So they had what we call civil laws, or even criminal laws, really. Um, they had laws. Hey, listen, if you do this, um, if you steal something, then you have to restore what you stole and add a 25% or sometimes a 50% or sometimes a 300%. Uh, fine you had to pay. Now, if you stole an animal, uh, a sheep, I think it is, uh, you'd have to return that sheep plus three more. Um, and so there was crimes like that. If you, you know, if you, uh, somebody asked you to look, take care of old Bessie the cow, hey, I'm heading out, you know, taking the family and somebody needs to take care of her, you know, um, 
can you, uh, can you watch her? And then, you know, you, uh, you know, they were gone for a few weeks and it was, she was bothering you, so you sold it to, you know, the carpetbagger or whatever. And they came back, hey, where's my cow? I don't know. And they, you know, found out that you sold them, then you would be punished. You know, you had to pay a fine and all that. So there was those kind of laws. If you did something, if you, if you murdered, some, if you killed somebody, then you would have to pay that price. You were put to death. So there was all sorts of laws like that. Then there was this, the religious laws, you know, how they worship the Lord, you know, being honest. Uh, you know, if you sin and do this, then you need to come before the Lord and confess your sin. You need to do all those things. And so those are all in there as well. Well, again, what happens if somebody did something wrong? And, and these cities of refuge, um, again, were put there because in their day and age, and it's still like that in many parts of the world today, guys. It's, it's called revenge killings. In other words, you're family honored bound that if they kill somebody in your family that you someone from the family that you know that that got killed in your family you're honor bound to kill them or take out one of their family it works that way in gangs in our community right or you're going to take out my homeboy well we're going to take out your homegirl or well ah, you know how that works whatever you know we're going to do that and um and of course in the middle east particularly even in the far east and in many places even in Africa, really, there's a lot of places today where, you know, if you do that, they, you're gonna, they're going to get revenge, you know, uh, and, and they're going to they're, they're gonna do that. Well, the Lord didn't want that. Um, he made provisions. Listen, if you murdered somebody, you were to pay the price. You were put to death. Capital punishment was absolutely there. But let's say you went up to Mount Madonna there. And you and your good buddy were going to go up there and take down a couple of redwood trees you wanted to add to your barn. And so you're up there sawing away, and all of a sudden the saw slips from your hand. He falls back. The tree gets notched, falls down, and that's it. Boom. He's gone. Well, it was an accident. You were working together. There wasn't any malice. You weren't going to forethought of hurting him or anything like that. But there would be honor bound in the family to... To, re- to have that revenge, you killed him, and, and, and the Lord didn't want that innocent blood. So he made a provision for the people saying, listen, if you do that, there's going to be cities located throughout the country where you can go, and you and they will protect you and take care of you. And, and so the Lord makes provision for that because he knows it's going to happen. Um, and, and this is what this chapter is about. And so let's look at it quickly here and... We'll learn some important things, I think, out of it. Verse 1, The Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. In other words, we already heard about these before, but he's reminding them. They're setting them up now. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and that they shall, uh, they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gates of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, that they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but, uh, but did not hate him beforehand. So we would say this is maybe second degree, uh, manslaughter today or something like that it was something that was unintentional and, and so this person now okay i need to there, there's going to be anger and sadness and hurt and there's no laws or courts or police force to help 
cool everything like this. And so you need to go to this city. And so he was to go to the city. Now, it wasn't, you know, you had to present your case because, you know, they didn't want anybody that was guilty because they weren't allowed to be there as guilty. No, there was a price to be paid if you're guilty. But if you did it innocently or unintentionally, then you could have a safe place to stay there. And they were to make sure uh, these priests, these leaders, these Levites were to make sure that, you know, you weren't trying to pull a fast one on anybody and you meant that way. So they would have a trial, we'd say today, or they would listen to it and make sure that he was there. And, and verse 6 tells us that, and he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Now, so what happens is, okay, he's innocent, he didn't mean to, but here are the rules. There was still a price to pay because somebody died. Even though it was an accident, there's still a price to pay. You can, you're, you're going to be spared and protected. Nobody can take your life in that revenge killing, but the rules are you have to stay in that city until the high priest dies. And then once he dies, then you're free to go back home, which means... If he was a younger guy, you might be there for a few years or a number of years. If he was a little older guy, maybe not so long. But the bottom line is there was going to be a price to pay, even if it was accidental. And they were to be protected. But then again, it would and then that would also allow time for cooling off as well. So remember, the Lord didn't want all this craziness of revenge and this venge, the Hatfield and McCoy kind of thing. You know, oh, you did this. I'm going to do this. And you know how we can be. That's just our human nature, right? We can really get caught up, especially if somebody you love dies. Emotions are high. Time cooling that down. Hey, he had to stay in that city. He didn't get off scot-free. And again, the Lord was making provision for his people, knowing what things would happen. So the Lord cares about everything of our life. It's not you go to a place and meet the Lord at a building and then you live your life the rest of the day. No, no, I, I love you in every single way, and I have, I, I want to work in and through everything in your life. That's how much I love you, and, and including in things which we, you know, kind of take for granted in our day. And so again, um, you know, the great illustration in this too is um, notice that he wasn't set free until the death of the high priest. Now, in this is the Old Testament, let's say Old Covenant. In the New Testament, or our New Covenant, death of our high priest also set us free from bondage of sin, right? You know, by his death, we were set free. There's a great, great imagery between these cities of refuge and a great picture of really of what Jesus did for us. And, um, you know, by his death, we are set free. So we can see a good picture of what, uh, we, what we have in the church today through Jesus. And then so he lists the cities, uh, what they are. Verse 7, he appointed Kadesh and Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali and Shechem, or Shechem, I'm sorry, in the mountains of Ephraim and Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron in the mountains of Judah and the other side of Jordan, uh, Jordan by Jericho to the eastward and assigned Bezer to the wilderness on the plains and from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, Gilead, the tribe of Gad, the Golan, and Basham, 
uh, from the tribe of Manasseh, and there the cities were appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. That means even if you weren't natural or weren't born a, a Jewish or Israeli, we'd say today that still apply, the law still applied to you. Whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of an avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. And so uh, one last thing to say on this before we move on, again, back to our, our map, and the, the larger squares are represent those cities. And if you notice, they're spread throughout the land. And if we had a typographical map which shows mountains and valleys and you know, in a little better way, we would see that um, the cities were laid out way back, the Lord told Moses, listen, these cities have to be located where somebody doesn't have to climb mountain ranges or go through deserts or through big rivers or, you know, through this or that. They have to be accessible. As a matter of fact, the priests were required to maintain the roads. They they had to maintain the roads so that people could easily find this and, 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 and get to these cities. They were required to do that. And so they were, they were spread out everywhere. Their roads were maintained. It was easy to travel there and, and, get, to, and get to these cities if, they, if you needed to. And again, I think it's a, a great picture um, of our Savior Jesus as well, isn't it? I mean, um, y- you know, we don't have to climb hills and go through deep valleys and, you know, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, well, how do you get spiritual? Well, you have to, you know, meditate for days and maybe go up to the mountain. And if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you've been up to, we have quite a bit of that in our Santa Cruz Mountains up there. I've been up at a number of those places um, uh, for work. And, and uh, you know, and that's what it is. You know, you got, go up here and then you have the incense burning or if you've been down to, Tassajara out in the uh, uh, San Lucia Mountains out there and you know it takes an hour and a half on a dirt road to get to this place with no power and you know you have to do these things and do that and you know eat certain things or not eat certain things or wear certain things or do certain things and all these kind of things and you know if you go to Tibet or if you go here you go there or any of these things that you know then you know you'll great get great spiritual insight comes you know, through great torturous paths to get to it. But not so. Uh, Jesus is accessible to everyone. You don't have to climb mountains. You don't have to cross rivers. He's right there. He's near to you. You know, that's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is the outward things that you have to do and don't do or go or say or be like or not be like, all this kind of stuff. But, see, Christianity is different. It's, it's a relationship. It's based on a relationship. He loves you, and, and he wants to, 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 to come into your life at, at invitation, and he'll take you as deep as you want to go. And, and, and he loves you, and it's an intimacy that you build up. And it's, it's, it's not based on a building or a place and a thing you have to do or you go there for an hour a week or two hours a week or five hours a week or whatever a person might do and no, no, no. He's with you when you're leaving this place driving home. And when you lay down tonight, when you can't sleep at 2.30 in the morning, when you're getting up for breakfast, when the kids are driving you nuts and, you know, you're, they're throwing stuff at each other or, you know, whatever. You're vacuuming. You're working. You know, he's there and he loves you. 
and he wants to lead and guide you, and he's accessible. He's close, closer than anybody could be, and what a great picture, you know, our great Lord Jesus, that refuge we can run to in time of trouble. Boy, read the book of Psalms, just great verses, you know. Those who are afraid, there's a strong tower. The idea is a great, safe place that you can run into. He's there for us. He loves us. And so uh, what a great, great picture we have of uh, our great high priest, the refuge that we find in him from the storm, the shelter, from all that's going on in life. Well, let's look at chapter 21, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here because it's, it's pretty pretty quick here and there's just a couple of lessons that I want to touch on and we'll, we'll leave it at that tonight um, again so the the Levites the religious people that the the pastors maybe we'd say today the priests um, again not to be focused on work and so they were to be focused on the things of the Lord and so uh, remember when the people gave their offerings and brought their sacrifices that supported uh, those that did this for the Lord. And, and so as they brought in, it, it went to them and supported them. So um, really not much has changed a whole lot through through that history or through the history that we, you know, even in, in the church history. The idea was for them to be able to do that. And so they lived on faith and they trusted what the Lord would bring in. And, and so they were given those 48 cities, just again, this map that we've looked at. Those are the cities up there again. And really, it calls them out by name from verse 1 all the way down to uh, first, uh, verse 40. Again, the Lord wanted them out throughout, scattered throughout the, the people so that everybody could have access to them and they would be close by and, uh, you know, that that be a great encouragement to the whole nation. And, and then verse 41 sums it up all the cities of the levites within the possession of the children of israel were 48 cities in their common lands every one of these cities had common lands surrounding it thus all uh, thus were all these cities for the lord gave to israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and dwelt in it and so again the levites got their cities and the rest of the people got all their land and nobody would be very far from one dedicated to the Lord and able to teach and help with decisions and all those things he spread them out verse 44 and the Lord gave them uh, rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers and no and not a man of all their enemies stood against them the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand so again the Lord gave them victory as he promised Nothing or no one could stand in their way. Let's just remember that promise that you and I have today. You know, there's no weapon fashioned against us that will stand. You know, there's so much out of our control. And if you read the news or watch the news or go online with the news or however you get your news source, and there are so many things that change so fast and it just gets so crazy and so all over the place and... And, you know, things that are so far removed from us that we seem like we have so little influence that can impact our lives in a huge way. 
And yet we don't have to feel insignificant in the sense because not because we're great or have insight or have power or ability to change any of those things. But the reality is that we have a great God that loves us. And he says, there's there is nothing that can come into your life as my child. When when you receive me as uh, Lord and Savior, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and receive that forgiveness of sin, you become my child. And the Bible puts it as being born again. You're born into, you're spiritually alive. Yes, you were born physically, but there has to be a spiritual birth. And, and that's what happens. And then you're mine. There's nothing. It doesn't matter who's president, who's ruling Russia or China or California or Watsonville or blah, blah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the nuclear missiles they're putting in wherever here or that happening. Man, no enemy could withstand them. No enemy. We're his. He takes care of his children. He loves them. And nothing is going to happen but for what God says, I'll turn out for good in your life. In verse 45, a great way to sign off tonight, not a word failed from any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. Now, if you'd like to do a little word exercise in your own Bible there, maybe you could cross out the word Israel and put your name there. And not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to Dylan, or to the house of Dylan in my case, all came to pass. Put your name in there. Put your family name in there. Because that's the promise of the Lord. God says everything that I said would happen would happen. Nothing failed. Everything good he would do and promised to do them came to pass because he never fails. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to be reminded of these things, Lord, in your word. And I know, you know, that we don't spend much time in the Old Testament, Father, but there's so many great lessons there. And Lord, just as we're reminded in that last verse, Father, your word will come to pass. You'll never fail. All the promises that you've made, all the things that you said would happen are going to happen because, well, you're God and you're controlling everything. You're outside of time and space and matter, all those things that control and have so much influence in our world, Lord. But you're above all those. In fact, you created all those. And you do all that you want to do in and through those things, and you do that because you love us. And we thank you for that love. Lord, may we embrace it. May we just, just, just feel that comfort and that passion and that marvel comes to know that your great love will never fail. We thank you. We love you. Bless your people, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys.